Good morning, everyone. My name's Roger. I'm one of the staff team here, and I'm going to lead us in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for your life-giving word, and we pray you would speak it now into our hearts, uh, write it on our minds, and shape the actions of our hands uh, by your life-giving word today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I mean, do have Luke uh, chapter 17 open in front of you. That would be very helpful. Uh, And as I was uh, thinking about uh, this passage uh, and preparing, uh, I was struck by a number of couple of things that have been going on as we have uh, seen Luke 13 to 19 unfold. And uh, one of those, uh, the first of those, is the whole question of hearing God's word on his own terms. Now, I, I say this because uh, the word of God is accessible and it is understandable, uh, but that doesn't mean that we don't find challenges uh, as we read it. Uh, there are times that we think, oh, I don't know what's going on here, or how am I meant to connect that with what was said before or what comes after? Uh, perhaps the uh, the biggest illustration of this is the, uh, you know, what you'll, what you'll hear people say, you may have even said it yourself, uh, I, oh, I much uh, rather the God of the New Testament, the God of love, than the God of the Old Testament, the God of wrath. And uh, and I think, I, I think with this, it picks up on something, well, it picks up on a couple of things that we uh, actually work hard as at as a church, Uh, to weigh carefully. The first thing is that there are similarities and differences. Uh, There's similarities and differences in all things in life. I was struck in Together Time when Dave and two of his children got up here. Did you see the similarities? You know, these, these beautiful kids look a lot like Dave. Uh, which is fantastic. That's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, but there are differences between them as well. In height, there's a boy, there's a girl. Similarities and differences. And one of the challenges I think we face when we read the Bible is there are a great number of similarities that unite uh, the whole unfolding uh, word of God in the Bible. But there are also differences as the events unfold. And it's getting our heads around that uh, that is one of the things that we need to humbly uh, come before God uh, and seek to hear him on his own terms. Uh, Which brings me to uh, something that that I've been shaped by, I think God's word intends us to shape by, is that uh, you may, from time to time, find a passage hard to understand and... Uh, we would love it not to be hard, wouldn't you? You know, have you heard someone say, if only God would make himself clearer, or I wouldn't have said it like that? Uh, And yet, God remains God, and we remain uh, the people who need to listen to God's word. And so how do we do that effectively? I I take it we have to learn from the Bible how to read the Bible. And uh, that's something that uh, hopefully we will practice in our time together looking at chapter 17 today. One last thing to say by way of introduction and the thoughts that reading this passage has brought up in my mind that that I hope might uh, in some way be triggered in yours is that 
there is often a challenge in the Bible and you will hear disputes amongst, or let's call them uh, conversations. Conversations between people, sometimes disputes, uh, where people pick up on a particular theme of the Bible and they're very much polarised and, and feel that the, this theme or that theme are in opposition to, to each other. I think the classic example is uh, the Bible teaches us that God is sovereign, uh, but we as people have responsibilities before God. And, of course, the pushback is, is, well, if we have responsibilities, how can we be held accountable for how we act or what we do when God is sovereign and he's in charge of it all? And the tension there is, uh, is one where we tend to gravitate to one or the other, but it's a good example of something that happens again and again in the Bible where both are true where both are true, and that makes us a little uncomfortable. We find it hard to hold those things together, and yet we have to answer the question. Will we hear God's word humbly rather than think that he has to justify himself to us? Well, and that area of the sovereignty of God and human responsibility flows on to uh, a, a, a phrase that I like to use, which is grace and gratitude or grace and responsibility, uh, because these two things very much hold together in the Bible. And you may be wondering, well, why is he saying all this? We haven't got to the passage yet, uh, but we will in a moment, uh, because responsibility is very much what verses 1 to 4 of chapter 17 begin with, don't they? And I'm wondering, as I'm going to read them again in a moment, whether you were struck by the weighty responsibility uh, that kingdom living comes with. Let me read it for us from verse 1. Thanks. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. It's a grave warning, isn't it? Uh, it's saying that we can impact other people by what we do or what we fail to do that leads them from temptation into sin. Uh, and so, you know, if you woke up this morning thinking it would be a relaxed day, this word from God certainly puts the kibosh on that, or so it would seem. Jesus is saying, uh, if you, the little ones he's talking about, are, are people who follow and trust uh, uh, the Lord Jesus, who trusts God, uh, and he's saying it would be better that you were dead. That's what a millstone around your neck and thrown into the sea does for you. It would be better that you were dead than to have sinned in this way. But if that isn't hard enough, I think what comes next is equally uh, grave and weighty reading from verse 3, if your brother or sister sins against you, uh, that is, brother or sister in trusting Jesus, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them, even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. 
That is grave and weighty as well, isn't it? That is an extraordinary expectation that God lays on us by his word that we have to make a decision about, about how are we going to respond? How are we going to respond? Uh, As if verses 1 to 3, the first half of 3, weren't hard enough. It's talking about here if, if someone needs to have a mirror held up to them, Uh, someone else in our congregation here or across our church and you have the relationship with them where it's appropriate, you need to tell them something that they may not want to hear and you don't know how they will react. And yet, the motive is, am I willing to love this person uh, even if there is a risk that they won't respond in the way they ought to? And then, then we have the challenge that if someone does wrong you uh, and we know how we feel that, we feel that down here, don't we? When we've been wronged, been been treated unjustly or we've been slandered, if the person who did that, if they were to come back to us saying, I did the wrong thing, please forgive me, what does Jesus say? None other than... uh, if they sin against you seven times in a day, which is pretty much saying as many times as they sin against you, uh, coming back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Now, I don't know about you, but I find forgiving people quite difficult. I don't mind forgiving someone for what they did to you. Uh, It's what they did to me uh, that I really struggle with. Because there's a cost, isn't there, in forgiving them? You're actually saying, okay, well, you deserve uh, something in return and I'm not going to give it to you. I'm going to bear that in myself. So it's hard. And in fact, what these verses are showing us is our great need uh, one of the things I uh, love about the Bible is that it, uh, it paints life as it really is and when it reflects that we sin against each other, we know that's true. It doesn't pretend we live in some world where that doesn't happen and so it addresses the things that matter most. But how am I going to do this? How are you? The reality is, if we've got this problem in the first place, how are we going to be able to change? And that is very much uh, not just the question, but the answer we're going to hear from God as the rest of this passage unfolds. Just before we get to that and thinking about the weighty demands, I did want to just mention again uh, Leviticus 19 verse 1 that we heard read in our first reading because of course it was a longer wasn't it did you notice how many expectations that had on how we treat each other and treat God remember that at the very outset of those words as with the outset of the whole law of God uh, uh, the Lord said to Moses speak to the entire assembly of Israel that the people he has saved from slavery and he says Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. God's people take on the family likeness. 
and God is set apart from sin, so ought we to be. And yet again, we know the challenge. If we look at ourselves uh, and are willing to be honest, uh, we know that we are up against a sheer cliff face if it depends on us. Kingdom life has weighty demands. And so to look at the uh, rest of this uh, passage this morning, well, in fact, the whole passage, one of the things that we've talked about uh, in times past, and and we've done this particularly when we've read Old Testament books, but I I want to uh, offer it to you, invite... Uh, you to use this uh, these three questions when you're reading New Testament books of the Bible as well and when you're uh, uh, reading the Gospels which is a sort of a, an unusual place because it's not after Jesus has died and rose again it's sort of coming off the back of the Old Testament he's speaking to Old Testament people but at the same time it's the beginning of the New Testament so uh, these three questions I take it summarise what the Bible teaches us to humbly, how to humbly approach God's word and hear it. Here they are. What did it mean for them then? That's the first question to ask. Uh, In this case, in chapter 17, or you could go back further to Leviticus 19 if we were concentrating on that one today. Uh, The second question, how does it point us to Jesus? Because we know that Jesus is the one that the whole scripture points to and fulfills the whole scripture. The third one is... United with him, what does it mean for us today? We've heard, haven't we, that we need to depend on God. Uh, That heading is going to come up on the screen and then I'm going to move quickly to the next one. We need to depend on God. Uh, The challenge that we fall into in reading this chapter or reading any other part of the Bible when it says do this and don't do that is that we might approach it in this way of seeing a straight line from then then to us today. Uh, But I want to actually wave you off, warn you away from that way of reading the Bible. The Bible actually teaches us another way. It actually teaches us to scrap them then to us today as a direct path. You know, they were God's people, Israel, we're God's people, the church. It actually teaches us to go from them then to Jesus, which I've represented by the cross, to Jesus and the way he fulfills all that people were meant to be. Uh, And it's united with him that we can live as his kingdom people today. Remember, we've given the title to this series, uh, Enter the Kingdom, because that is indeed what Jesus, as he makes his way to Jerusalem, that is, time and time again, he is imploring people, inviting people, uh, challenging people, confronting people to enter the extraordinary kingdom of God, which brings with it eternal life, uh, where there is no sin. No breakdown in relationships, neither with him and between him and us or between him and each other. And so that's the warning. That picture uh, gave us the warning. Uh, uh, Another warning, because this isn't 
just occurring in a vacuum. It stretches back. Chapter 16 we were looking at last week and the week before. I just want to remind you of what we heard read in 16 verse 13. No one can serve two masters, Jesus says. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In fact, you cannot serve both God and any other counterfeit God, comfort, security. And so the apostles do us a great favour. And I'm reminded of several other times they do us a great favour. Well, I'll just pick one. Uh, When Jesus is teaching about marriage and divorce and remarriage and he's saying some confronting and hard things to them, you know what they respond with? They go, well, it would be better then not to marry. (laughs) Because they're going, that just all sounds too hard. And that's what jumped into my mind when I read uh, verse 5. Because the apostles hear what Jesus expects of them in verses 1 to 4, and I'm sure it's uh, as much uh, verses 3 and 4 as anything else. And they, you can almost hear them pleading with him. Uh, verse 5, increase our faith. Why do you think they ask that? Because they're going, I know where I'm at. And what you're asking... And there is a huge divide between the two. Increase our faith. Uh, Enable us to depend upon you more. Uh, Help us to believe you more. And so what Jesus does, they ask this question and actually in the sense in which he reflects back, I'm not going to answer that question, but here's the answer you really need. That makes sense? He does that a few times in the Gospels. Uh, And here's his answer. I'll read it out. Have a look at it in your own Bibles. It's not up on the screen, but from uh, verse 6. Jesus replied, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you uh, has a servant ploughing or looking after the sheep, will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Chapter 17, the way we're looking at it uh, today, there's a sense in which you can divide it into three parts, uh, verses 1 to 19. There's verses 1 to 4, uh, which really bring up the situation uh, Verses 5 to 10, which has Jesus' response uh, when when they ask for uh, increase our faith. And then 11 to 19. And uh, as we've said before, one of the challenges in reading our Bibles can be the headings that aren't part of the original Bible that get put in so you can find the things you're looking for and that in itself is okay. But, But verses 11 to 19 are very much on the back of... 5 
to 5 to 10. But let's just, before we make that final connection, verses 5 to 10, uh, Jesus is not here, uh, uh, you know, saying, well, with your words, you can do the whole better homes and gardens thing. (laughs) You know how they're always digging this up and replacing this and bringing in this thing and it looks fantastic. uh, And, you know... You can say, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted to the sea. He's not, he's not saying that you can do incredible gardening works uh, if you have faith. What he is saying, though, is it's not the amount of faith that you have that will make the difference. It's who that faith is placed in. It's who that faith is placed in. And so Jesus goes on to say, to tell the, uh, to tell the uh, sort of mini parable of verses 7 to 10. And what he's reflecting at that point is saying, you are servants of God. He is our master. Uh, doing what is in service of him, it's the right thing to do. It's not something you should get a bonus for. But indeed, it is the way we should extend our efforts. That's the way we should respond. It's the way we should respond because he is surely dependable. If you want to see how dependable he is, read on to verses 11 to 19. And again, looking at your Bibles, it's not on the screen, but I'll read from verse 11. Now, on his way to Jerusalem... Jesus travelled along the border between Samaria and Galilee, along the border between uh, Israel and their distant cousins who were great enemies, uh, which is the the whole significance of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, Between Samaria and Galilee, as he was going into a village, ten men had leprosy, who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. They stood at a distance because that's what the the law and the culture, the community expected of them with such a disease, with the ceremonial uncleanness it brought and the contagiousness that it brought. And they, they ask of Jesus, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. If you go back into the Old Testament law, uh, in the neck of the woods where we read from Leviticus 19, uh, there's these sets of expectations of uh, 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 when you have a skin disease like leprosy or similar, uh, that you move away from the other people. uh, And if it should be cured... Uh, if it should be healed, then there was a process you went to. You went to the priests. The priests were in charge of a whole bunch of these sorts of things of signing off, as it were, that it was appropriate for you to rejoin the community. And so Jesus is saying, well, off you go, go and do that. And between meeting him and doing that, they were cleansed of their sickness. It's an extraordinary work, a work of God a work of mercy and compassion, the sort of compassion and mercy that fulfills the Old Testament 
expectations of the law, the mercy and compassion that when we read in last uh, week, Luke 16, of the rich man and Lazarus, he showed none of because he did not listen to the law of God, to the word of God. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus has got his disciples' attention now. Jesus asked, we're not all ten cleaned. Uh, where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. If you're wondering, in response to verses 6 to 10, about whether Jesus is someone in which it would be right and reasonable and appropriate and wise to trust, to depend, to place your faith in, Well, here he is, in action, immediately after, showing his desire to see people. Well, he says, rise and go, your faith has made you well. In the original languages, he's saying rise and go. It's the same idea as being made well. It's your faith has saved you. And again, we remember... It's not about the amount of faith the Samaritan had or the ten others had, but the one in whom they placed that faith. And so with that ringing in our minds, we can actually come back to chapter 17, verses 1 to 4, and any other part of the Bible, in fact, because do you remember that that language we used at the beginning, that little phrase, Grace and gratitude. Grace and response. The response, gratitude is a response. And a response is gratitude. And the whole word of God, which has been so much front and centre through chapter 16 uh, and here, it tells us we need both. The grace of God and the response of repentance and faith in God. And so we can read uh, Luke uh, 17, 1 to 3. I put the wrong uh, chapter number down there, but that's okay. Luke 17, 1 to 3. I did it before, didn't I? Can you see that there uh, in the next slide? No, further? All right. If you can go, uh, I will read it because we have it in front of us. Uh, Chapter 17, from verse 1, Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. What is Jesus doing? He's giving us a warning. What is he also doing? He's enabling us to respond to this word as we hear his word. And he's warning us that what we do 
you only have to hark back to Leviticus and talks about lying and stealing and uh, 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 sp uh, speaking uh, falsely about other people and about laying a stumbling block before the blind or cursing the deaf, who, of course, neither of whom can hear you. All of these things, we have a responsibility to one another, to love one another as the people loved by God, to care about each other and not place temptation before each other by what we do or say or don't do or don't say. But then again, remember... The second half of verse 3 and 4 was weighty as well. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. Could that be the hardest command that Jesus gives to his followers? That there is a time and a place in a relationships as it's appropriate where we would call out one another for the sin that we see in one another. Lovingly, not to big ourselves up, but at the risk that it will not be received well. And yet we have this privilege, and you love me when you do it for me, and God willing, I love you when I do it for you as well. And then the last thing, which will be the last word for us today. If your brother, uh, sorry, and if they repent, if they sin against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times you come back, come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. I can't do this in myself. But if I am willing to depend on the one who forgives each of us who turn back into repentance, we may live now with each other and with others in the forgiveness which draws on a deep well of God's forgiveness for us. May that characterise every single one of us and our life together as a church. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, again we thank you for your word, uh, that it is not uh, far off or removed from us, but it is very real. Uh, it explains our world and our experience, and it reveals that you truly know us to our very core. Thank you that in the midst of knowing us, uh, you redeem us. You free us from our slavery to sin by what Jesus has done, by his entering of our world and life and death and resurrection. We long for your kingdom. Uh, we, we wonder at the marvel that we can experience it even now, trusting him. And we look forward to the eternal life to come where sin will no longer be a part of our experience 
and we may know you and know each other truly as you always intended us to do.